Okay, we're here in Barstow, California. We got our load. We're going back to Chicago. It's going to be the CW McCall route. I call it the CW McCall route, the uh, convoy route, the uh, 15 to 40, 40 to 44, 44 to 270, 270 around St. Louis to, to 55, 55 to 70, 70 to 57, 57 north to 80, 80 east for a couple of miles, 394, 94 south, boom, we're in Chicago. We have, at, from from Barstow, we have 1,918 miles to go, 1,918 miles. That's a cakewalk. My sidekick, my faithful sidekick, Doug, is, uh, since I'm the senior driver, my faithful sidekick, Doug, is inside the truck stop right now, brushing his teeth and preparing for the jer- today's journey. He's probably going to hit a lot of wind. Uh, another driver called me and told me that uh, it's snowing in New Mexico, but I think that'll all be gone by the time we get there. So I don't think that's going to be much of an issue. Even if it is, we shall endeavor to persevere and we shall conquer the storm with with the earnest that Sir Ernest Shackleton would have. Uh, Ernest Shackleton's one of my heroes. If you don't know who Ernest Shackleton is, I highly recommend you uh, Google him and read The Endurance, about the journey of The Endurance and the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton, a man who is stuck in the Antarctic on the ice for two years with his entire crew. They, they, they got iced in, and the ship got busted up by the ice. They were trying to do an expedition. What the hell's going on with that thing? What just happened? Oh, the ELD did just something weird. Electronic locking device. So anyway, that's a new screen. ELD is new for us. Anyway, uh, check out the Endurance with Sir Ernest Shackleton. It is absolutely... Oh, the software is updating. Great. What complexity will we be dealing with now? Ah, wonderful. So anyway, Sir Ernest Shackleton, his story is phenomenal. Now keep in mind, this is in World War One, just before World War One, they were going to cross the Antarctic by foot, dog sleds and what have you, but uh, the ship got crushed, so they did not have all the supplies they needed to survive on the ice because now the sailors were stranded. So half the crew didn't have that were there stuck didn't have the supplies needed, nor were they prepared for it. So what happened was they marched off the ice. <laughs> The hell they had was three dinghies, and they marched off the ice until the ice started to melt. And that was when it got tricky because they couldn't put the dinghies in the water yet because they were afraid they were going to get crushed. So they kept, you know, they, were, it, they kept falling through the ice until they finally felt that they could do it. Anyway, they were on the ice. They were missing for two years. For two years, they survived on the ice by eating seals and penguins. And using the fat from the seals and penguins to light fires. In the most treacherous, godforsaken land known to man. And you know how many men? I think it was like, I think it was like 30-something men. You know how many men survived? Every single one of them. Not one single man was lost. Sir Ernest, due to Sir Ernest Shackleton's leadership... Every single man on that expedition made it home alive. It's the most phenomenal story of survival 
you'll ever because it's not just one man surviving. It's one man leading in a way that everybody survived. That's what's so cool about Cerna Shackleton. You know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, if you had to mop the floors, he was on the floor with you mopping the floor first. He was that kind of leader. He's the kind of guy that I, I would love to have met. I think that Cerna Shackleton's got to be one of the, you know, even though his expedition was failed. He's got to be one of the most, I don't know, just got to be a phenomenal human being. I would love to have met him. And then a few years later, he went back to the Antarctic. And quite a few of the men that were on the first expedition joined him. Even after two years of being stuck on the ice. How badass is that? That's leadership. Okay, I'm laying in the bunk. I'm done for the day. So now it's time for quote of the day. Well, the morning or whatever it is. Anyway, here's the quote of the day. And this is the last one for acting. And the next the next topic will be admiration. So let's get into it. I can't wait for the I can't oh, I screwed that up. I can't for the life of me see what nudity has to do with good acting. But perhaps if I were younger, I would feel differently. I can't for the life of me see what nudity has to do with good acting. But perhaps if I were younger, I would feel differently. That's pretty funny. I think what she's kind of saying is, you know what, I'm getting a little older, so I don't want to show my ass. But if I was in my teen, you know, if I was a little bit younger and I, and I still had the firm ass I had when I was, in, you know, a younger woman, then I would gladly, you know, I might feel a little differently about it. I guess we get more modest as we get older. That's Julie Harris. I'm not sure who Julie Harris is. I'll have to look her up. But I think that's pretty funny and pretty honest. That's about as honest as you can get. I can't for the life of me see what nudity has to do with good acting. But perhaps if I were younger, I would feel differently. That's hilarious. That's a good one. Julie Harris, you rock. I'm going to go with that's a good one. Okay. I'm going to tell you a North Hollywood story. This woman came into the nursery, and she bought, like, a whole bunch of shit. And she came up to the counter, and she gave me a credit card. It didn't work. So I'm like, oh, excuse me, it doesn't work. You know, kind of whispered it to her. And then she hands me, she opens up this book full of credit cards. It's like, there's hundreds of these things in there. It's the same kind of book you use, hold for business cards. So she gives me another card, and I'm like, oh, that one doesn't work either. So she gives me a third one and goes, you know what, that doesn't work either. So she gave me a fourth one and I'm like, uh, you know what, um, that one doesn't work. You know, but I kept getting, it was louder and louder. It didn't phase her, it didn't bother at all. So we got to the fifth one, the, finally we got the fifth one to work. And I'm like, oh, okay, finally. Five credit cards, we had to go through five credit cards to get a credit card. To work, and I said to her, I said, uh, I said, are you sure your accountant's still in the country? Because I mean, this is, seems a little weird. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. She was like so happy and so cheerful and kind of spacey actually. That you know who that woman was? That was David Crosby's wife from Crosby, Stills and Nash. He didn't come into the nursery; just his wife did. Man, she was. Super nice lady, but 
I don't know. Not knowing where your money is, you got to be able to. You got to be a certain kind of rich to be able to do that. But I must admit, that kind of blew me away. I was just like, "Fuck!" I'm scraping every penny. I knew that back then I wasn't making nothing. Now I was in my twenties. Yeah, I was twenty. Just turned twenty. I had gotten out of the army and I was twenty years old. I wasn't even twenty-one yet. Every penny counted. Literally every penny. You know, there's lunches I'd go without because I couldn't afford it. And there's this woman just throwing away money. Didn't even know where it's going. She don't care. That just blew me away. It still shocks me to this day that people would have that kind of money. And just not care. Silly. Silly, silly, silly. All right. I looked up Julie Harris. Oh, my God. Her resume is amazing. She was born in 1925, and she died in 2013. But her uh, resume is just amazing. Because she was on Knott's Landing. She did Requiem for Heavyweight, the movie version. I mean, she was in a lot of too much stuff for me to list off. So I looked at an earlier photo of her when she was in her 20s, and yeah, she was smoking hot. So anyway, oh, and she also did a lot of the... Uh, voiceover work for the Ken Burns for Ken Burns documentaries so she had a, an amazing voice I'm not sure exactly which one she was but I remember everybody on the Ken Burns stuff is top notch so now I'm going to go after to watch some Ken Burns stuff to go check it out so anyway that's all I got Julie Harris sad that you passed but oh god the body of work you left behind is amazing okay I posted a lot of Julie Harris stuff, but quite honestly, I couldn't find three best. They were just all so good, so I just figured, screw it. If anybody doesn't like it, they can just fast forward, but it's all good stuff. Hey, Kingfish. Hey, it's Bernie in Ireland. Normally it's green here, but today it's white. I'm pretty sure it's white all around the country. I'm in the southeastern portion of the country. And it's called the sunny southeast because it is. But today, the only green in my backyard is underneath the trampoline that was blown apart by Hurricane Ophelia, or Storm Ophelia. Green, man, turned into white. It's about a quarter of an inch, maybe a half an inch of snow. You can actually make snowballs with this. And uh, I'm calling in to just ask you something about snow and the big rig and turning. So here's the question. Do you have to make any kind of special move when you're making a big turn in a big snow? Just wondering. So it seems to me that the, the vehicle would kind of slide around a little bit. And um, I had some experience in Goose Bay, Labrador with snow and whiteout. And I wanted to tell you about that snow and whiteout stuff. But basically, we'd fly in the Goose and I think... I'm not even sure we needed to do that, but when we were bringing loads back from Germany, you wouldn't have enough fuel to make it all the way from Germany to South Carolina, so we'd uh, stop in the Goose. And this time of year, um, Goose has got a lot of snow, and they shovel it with those big plows off the taxiways and the runway, and the stuff gets tall, like, you know, six-foot-tall snow banks. So you're looking at white snow on the ground, normally pretty packed down, and then packed snow 
where the plows pushed it off the taxiway or off the runway. And the thing is, if you did get too close to it with your big wing, and our, my wing would be 150 feet out from the cockpit, and you couldn't see the difference between the white ground and the white snowbank. And to top it off, sometimes of the day, there'd be no shadow to speak of. So what the people in Goose would do is they'd spray these squiggly red lines on the packed two, uh, two meter tall, six feet tall snowbanks. So we wouldn't run our wing into them. But all bets were off at night because it was really bitchingly difficult to tell. Because even though you had a little light on both wings, little blinking light, it would distort the, there'd be a parallax error and shadows and stuff. So, yeah, how is it, my question said. When you're turning a big rig and there's snow out there, any special concerns you have? Because when I had to swing a wing, <laughs> I didn't want to hit a snowbank. Packed snow can damage a wing, rip off the lights and stuff. Happy trails. Hey, Bernie. Um, turning, not so much. My biggest concern, like when I'm going down the road and I'm in the snow, is that if you don't keep your eyes moving, you know, the left and right thing, you know, I'm con uh, you'll, you'll start to feel like you're on a conveyor belt. It's the craziest thing. You'll feel like you're on a treadmill and you're not moving and everything is moving around you. And it's a freaky feeling. So the best way to combat that is just keep your eyes moving. Left mirror, right mirror constantly. As long as you do that, you won't get disorientated. It'll drive you up the wall. As far as turning goes, uh, not so much. But the things I'm looking for when I'm actually going down the road, uh, the feel of the rumble strips, if I bounce against the rumble strip and then bounce off because I don't know where the, the road's completely covered, yeah, basically I'm driving the, the truck by braille. I've had experiences like that. You hit the rumble strip, back off, hit the rumble strip, back off. Um, let's see what else. Uh, ice buildup on the wipers, that's probably the biggest problem. Winter driving, ice buildup on the uh, headlights, you can't see at night. I had to do that the other night and knock the ice off. But as far as like driving in slow maneuvering, uh, let's say you pull into the truck stop or something. Generally, the snow's not too big a deal, but you want to make sure that you're actually driving on the roadway because like you just said there with the plane, it's kind of the same thing. You're not always sure exactly where the end of the road runway is or the end of the road is. You don't want to drop off into something, especially if there's a ditch on the side of the, you know, like a, or a drop-off running next to the truck stop and they shoved a bunch of snow into it. You pull off into that, you'll just drop right off. Um, hardest thing maybe is ice. Snow is not so bad, but ice. You know, you hit a corner too hard with ice and the whole thing may shake loose and go sliding. And then you may flip the rear box. Uh, worst thing that ever happened to me, well, I had a trailer come whip around behind me once on the ice. And it started to... I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh shit, this thing was all the way across the highway. I got off I got off the brake and it straightened out, but it was like a crazy dance all the way to the bottom of the hill. Very stressful. It wasn't going very fast, but that maybe 30 miles an hour, but I kept going faster and faster because every time I hit the brake, it would come around and every time I got off the brake, it would 
it would straighten out. I mean, it was sideways, completely sideways across the side of the road. It was crazy. Another time I stopped, always point downhill, by the way, always point downhill. The road was in Oklahoma. It was all iced up, so I went the I went up the off ramp, went down the on ramp, and I was pointed down. And I had to pee, and I couldn't. I knew I couldn't go into truck stop because I'd never get out. So I ran over to the side of the truck. There's nobody around, and I hit the tire. And the truck started sliding towards me, like towards me, you know, like it only moved maybe about half a foot. But it was a very awkward situation because I was standing there. Uh, well, I'll just say it, screw it. I was standing there with, you know, unbuckled up, holding on with one hand in my pants. The other hand was holding on to something else. And the truck started sliding towards me. And I had to hop backwards to keep from the truck hitting me. And I thought to myself, wow, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to get crushed by a truck with my pants down around my ass, taking a whiz. This is the most pathetic thing I've ever happened. And as I was scooting back, because I'm trying not to fall, I'm thinking, God, this is so stupid. I'm going to die the most stupid death possible. I honestly thought I was going to get, the truck was going to keep going because there was an embankment right there, even though the truck, it where it was fairly level when it started going, then it was getting steeper. Luckily, it stopped. And I stopped. And then I got out of there, and I didn't get stuck or anything. But I just kept thinking, oh, man, this is Darwin Award material right here. This is just so stupid. What are you going to do? But I've been in North Dakota where the only way you knew where the roads were were the little reflectors sticking out of the ground. So I look for those. But turning and stuff like that, not too much. Just don't do anything too aggressive. As long as you don't do anything too aggressive won't be too hey kingfish thanks for echoing my segments there i was actually actually had a question for you i was curious about your data plan you must go through gigs and gigs being on the road like that so i was wondering how does that work out do you have uh, a kind of an arrangement through your company or uh, do you just have a really really good cell plan that you know doesn't cost you an arm and a leg I love that segment about how you're talking about the difference between a mandolin and all that. It was just perfect. Absolutely loved it. I'm still waiting for you to do Green Sleeves. I love that song. I'm hoping you'll do that one of these days. Anyway, uh, my cell plan, I have Sprint Unlimited. I have a few dead zones like Nebraska, Wyoming, parts of New Mexico, Arizona. There's quite a few dead zones, but I have unlimited usage. Uh, since uh, February 3rd, I've used 251 gigabytes. Is that a lot? I don't really know, to be honest with you. A lot of that, though, was because I downloaded a bunch of podcasts. So 251 gigabytes since the 3rd of February. I'm not sure what I average. I never really, I never looked at it before. I just, I went and checked it out before I answered this question. But uh, I do get a discount through my company. I get a 25% discount off my Sprint bill. Uh, and then I have my wife and my mother-in-law both have uh, phones on the same thing. So when, uh, like if I make a phone call, 
my wife uh, sees the phone I dial and, and vice versa. And it's, I don't know, it's just easier that way. So we're on the same billing period. In fact, she, she, she saw, one time she saw this number in Arizona and she called it thinking I was messing around or something. I don't know what she was thinking. Like I would ever do that. And she dialed this woman and this woman's like, you know, she's like, who are you? And she's like, you know, whatever. They're, they're an awkward moment. And then she goes, well, my husband's the truck driver. And this woman's like, oh, my God, your husband's the truck driver. It, you know, the works for YRC. And my wife's like, yes. She's, like, kind of mad because she thinks I'm, like, hitting on a woman or something. And this woman goes, oh, my God, your husband saved my son's life last night. Oh, it, she started crying. And, you know, they, they, they both started crying. And it was the whole bit. And then I, I didn't even know this was happening because I had... The reason why the number was in my phone was because I had called this woman to tell her that her son was in an accident because she was in the car in front. She needed to turn around and come back. And I just I just pulled the, the uh, those two guys. They were like 18, 19. I just pulled them out of the car, kept them calm till the, the cops got there and the ambulance, whatever. Anyway, it wasn't really that big a deal. car rolled like four times in the desert. Actually, I guess it was a big deal because nobody else was going to stop. It was 3 in the morning. I was the only one awake. So anyway, so the she calls and then my you know I had no idea I had forgotten all about it because usually these this happens quite often actually and stuff like this and I usually just take off I don't give anybody my name I don't wait for thank yous I don't wait for anything I just take off so anyway um, my wife's like oh my god I know what you did last night and I'm like what what are you what are you talking about. I literally had no idea because I had forgotten that she could see all my phone calls. And then she told me, she's like, oh, and this and that. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you about that. And she goes, what do you mean? That's huge. And I go, well, you know, just, just a normal day at work. No big deal. Uh, so she, I don't know, she got a big kick out of that. But it's not like it's the first time. I mean... Uh, I know this is going to sound crazy, and I am tooting my own horn here, but there's at least six people that are alive today because I stopped. And my rule is, I stop if I'm the first one there. If I'm not the first one there, then I won't stop because the truck's in the way. Uh, one time I pulled uh, uh, a guy out of a van. I broke his leg when I pulled him out of the van. That was the first one. But the van was on fire, so in my defense, I think I had a better to have a broken leg than a catch on fire. I put out, I don't know, maybe five or six car fires. Keep in mind, this goes over. This is over 22 years. Uh, one time, I put out a car fire, and I accidentally, co-driver woke up and he looked down at the curtain. I accidentally pointed the thing up, and I put the the valve in wrong. And I hit the thing, and I hit him square in the face with that white powder. Oh, my God, Tom was pissed. I felt so bad. Oh, God, I felt bad. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, anyway, I'm digressing. Uh, Sprint Unlimited, 250. Kingfish Ranch on chicken wings? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that'll get you kicked out of Buffalo for sure. But no worries, man. I, I can't hate on Buffalo guy, though, because Buffalo, that's near and dear to me. I got family in Lakeview. And also, that's the only team I've ever liked. 
Buffalo Bills, they're going to be my pallbearers so they can be the last bastards to let me down. That's all they ever do. They always let me down. Hammer down, though, buddy. Keep doing what you're doing. Drive safe. I enjoy it. I, I'm going to play your phone call tomorrow on my station. I've been doing, trying to do these morning shows and just spitballing it, seeing what, you know, throw it up against the wall and see what happens. So Most of the time it's pear-shaped, but I, I know I'm enjoying it and I have fun doing it. Uh, keep doing your station. I enjoy it. Drive safe, my friend. And I hope you are doing well. Enjoy your weekend. Peace. You know, that last call-in by Patrick was so good, I had to play it again. Yeah, that last comment about the, the buffalo and the lowering, awesome. Yep, my sidekick. No, honestly, my sidekick, Doug, does not use ranch dressing. In fact, he finds it completely offensive. It's some weird buffalo thing. Using ranch dressing on buffalo wings. Uh, it's funny, but I tease him about it all the time. I tell him, I say, man, if you don't do this thing I want you to do, I'm going to tell everybody on Facebook, all your friends from Buffalo, you use ranch dressing. And he's like, all right, all right. <laughs> ah, good morning, my people. I'll give you a traffic, I'll give you an update to our travels today. I am currently just left Gallup, New Mexico. My sidekick, Doug, has gotten us here safely. And now we are headed east on I-40 at mile marker 45. Estimated time at arrival in Chicago. When we get there? Oh, oh, look at that. A Swift truck passed us. Oh, he's going like 70. That's scary. Oh, that's really scary. Swift trucks are notorious for getting into accidents in the most bizarre ways. Almost like they go out of their way to do it. Like they're mad at... I'm mad at my company, so I'm going to drive this truck off this cliff. Uh, just Google Swift Trucking and you'll see what I'm talking about. Or uh, YouTube Swift Trucking. On their break room... I saw a picture once on their break room wall that said, uh, Drive home safely. Don't do anything stupid that will get you on YouTube. Which I thought was appropriate. I don't know if that was real or not. To my left is a rock formation with a reddish hue. It's actually quite spectacular. It's a very deserty area. To my right is shrubs. Snow covered, lots of snow. This wasn't here when we drove through. Doug, was this snow here yesterday? Not really. Okay, so it wasn't there yesterday. So, must have snowed between when we were here last. Quite a bit of it, too. Right, look at all that snow, Doug. Quite a bit. It's quite spectacular. Current temperature is 38 degrees. Problem with a place like New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, is they don't get a lot of snow. They get more ice and snow. But because they don't get a lot of snow... They really don't have the equipment to take care of it. So when you get out here, you're pretty much on your own. It kind of sucks. You know, you won't see a plow. Now you get up in Wisconsin, Illinois, the Northeast, you know, plow trucks everywhere. You get up by uh, Patrick, we live on a planet. Everybody's a plow. They put pl they, The state comes out and puts a plow in front of everybody's car because they get so much snow. 
you know, if they don't get snow, it's an emergency. Oh, bumpy road. Oh. Anyway, I wish you guys could see this. I love these rock formations off to the left. It's quite amazing. So here's the irony. I'm in the truck stop. And they sell these Indian, native Indian dolls. And I'm looking at them closely. And of course they say made in China. Which is kind of amazing to me because there's so many crafters out here. You know, Native American crafters that do beautiful work. You see their jewelry on the side of the road all the time. But you see, here's the kicker. So these Native American crafters are out here. Well, I gotta go around this guy. It's on his shoulder. Okay, so these Native American crafters are all over the place. But yet they're selling these dolls they bought in China. But yet, I looked at the faces of the dolls, and they all look kind of Chinese. So, talk about adding insult to injury. I don't know. I just thought that was bizarre. Hey there, Kingfish. How are you doing, my friend? I hope you're doing well. I just wanted to let you know that I decided to start here on Anchor with a new beginning. And I think you're going to like it. I really do. I plan on keeping, you know, things, you know, about the same with the weather uh, forecast and reports and things like that. But I want to bring a lot more to the station. There's so much more about me I can bring to Anchor. And I really think that's important. I just want to let you know about that and I hope that you're doing okay and I also appreciate you so much for what you do and also thank you so much for all the support and thank you for uh, you know telling people about my Facebook page really appreciate that have a wonderful day oh there we go Nathan just got your call in just woke up can't wait to hear what you do with the weather kind of excited about it. Weather is very important to me for what I do for a living. And I change weather environment. One day I'm in this, one day it's 80, the next day I'm in, it's 20 below for me. So every time I hear a weather report from somebody across the country, it does apply to me. If I hear somebody in California giving a, like Maria, when Maria gives a weather report, even though she doesn't do it very often, I know that if it's cloudy or raining or whatever, that that's going to be snow for me later on in the week. So it's nice. I like that. So keep up the good work, buddy. And by the way, if you guys haven't seen uh, some of Nathan's photos on his Facebook page, I highly recommend it. He's got some spectacular lightning photos. Uh, even I, who am in the weather constantly, got a kick out of some of his shots. He's got some really good stuff there. So... I highly recommend you go over there and lurk and check it out. I know I did. And I usually don't even, I don't even go on Facebook that much. You know, I just go there for the Japanese anime pornography, usually. And that's about it. Other than that, I hardly ever even use it. You know? Oh, there's a funny story. I'll make another segment, because it's, it's a pretty good one.
oh my goodness. I just, I just had an experience. One of those experiences just totally made my day. And now I get to share it with you guys. Ah, this is awesome. This is unbelievably awesome. Ah, I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Oh, this is amazing. It's awesome. Keeping that hammer down all across the nation. Checking cities off his list. Sharing stories of the road right here on his station. You are listening to the Kingfish. Yes, you've tuned in to the Kingfish Radio Network. Mm. Alright, I'm here at Russell's Truck Stop in Indy, New Mexico. This place is unique because they have a car museum here with just about every car memorabilia thing you can imagine. It's quite amazing, actually. I'm standing in front of a convertible Chevrolet Impala 1958 turquoise. This thing is just absolutely perfect. Oh my god. It's beautiful. Let's move on to the next one. 1955 Corvette with a 265V8 engine, 210 horsepower, convertible, white, absolutely stunning. Oh, here's one. This is amazing. 1959 Corvette, 4-speed transmission. It's like a light baby blue. Unbelievable. Convertible yet again. Oh my god, this thing is, it looks like the, it looks just as good as the day it came off the showroom floor. Oh, here we go. A Ford Galaxy Sunliner, 1961, automatic transmission, 390 V8. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Red with the dice hanging from the, with the rear view mirror. Absolutely stunning. I love this thing. Oh, God, that's beautiful. All right, here's one for you. 1950, 1955 Ford Crown Victoria Skyliner. All right, with the tinted top. Oh, just absolutely stunning. And that my particular style, but I still like it. Oh, here's something that's real nice. 1957 Pontiac Super Chief. 389 tri-power, 345 horsepower, three-speed automatic transmission. It's like a light kind of greenish color. I don't even know how to describe it. It's absolutely stunning. Oh, my God. It's like something out of American Graffiti. I couldn't imagine what that must have been like. Alright, now we're moving on to the next one. 1959 Ford Galaxy Fairlane. Uh, I don't know, this doesn't really do it for me, but it's still in perfect shape. Next one, 1963 and a half Ford Galaxy 500. I remember these driving around. I didn't think they were a big deal back then, but I look at them now and I realize they are a big deal beautiful car oh Carmagia stretched out Volkswagen never liked them 1966 Ford Thunderbird convertible coupe kind of 
mauve. I don't even know what color that is. I don't know what the color. Like a turquoise? No, I don't even know. I don't know what color. What, what color would you say that is? Pew. Pew? Yeah, I don't even know what to call it. Champagne? Okay, there's somebody here fancy. He said it's champagne. It's for a podcast, yeah. Well, at least one of us is sophisticated. I don't even know what to call it. I never had that color in my crayon set. Silver rose? Oh, man, what, what the names they come up with some of this stuff. You ever seen a rose that looked like that? The last bottle of champagne I had was that color. Yeah, after it had been sitting in the closet for 20 years, you forgot about it. All right, now we're going to 1957. Chevrolet Bel Bel Air convertible. Oh, this thing is just... It just makes you want to go to the car hop. Dice hanging from it, just spotless. 19, next one, 1963 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. Three-speed automatic transmission, white. Convertible once again. Oh, my God, absolutely stunning. Oh, look at the boot. You don't you don't drive that the you don't drive the last car you you sail it. Here's one 1960 Chevrolet Impala red, 350 V8 power slide automatic transmission red color. This thing is beautiful. Not only is it beautiful, but it's got the old car hop tray hanging from the window. So and then it's got the with a fake bird. It's just amazing. All right, I'm gonna end this and then go to the next one. We still got some more cars. Alright, now we're looking at a 1968 Chevrolet Camaro Supersport 350 with a mint, with a, oh, this thing is just, it's, 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 it's light blue with the white striping, oh my god, this thing is just, oh, look at this thing, it just makes you want to jump in, slam your foot to the floor and go fucking chase, go run away from the cops. All right, now we're going into something more classic. 1952 Chevrolet Deluxe. This thing's a convertible. Not my style, but, I mean, it's like you would get attention driving this thing. Then we got a 1950 Ford Custom Red with a four-door, six-cylinder, 95 horsepower. Whoo! I think in 1950 that was like probably like a big deal. All right, here we go. 1953 Kaiser Manhattan four-door L6 226 engine 118 horsepower. I don't even know what that is Kaiser Manhattan never heard of it probably some German thing Here we go 1958 Ford Galaxy Skyliner Retract 1959 keep this in mind 1959 retractable hardtop 352 300 horsepower three-speed automatic transmission So not only do you have the automatic transmission you have the retractable hardtop that takes up the entire trunk, okay? And it's 300 horsepower, which is quite a bit, actually. Oh, here's an old... Let's go back here. Oh, my God, look at this. It's got a hard... It's got a... Uh, the convertible top's all glass. You know, the rear window's glass. The whole, the whole trunk area lifts up, and then the convertible top retracts into the trunk area. Quite honestly, I don't think you'd get much in here. Man, that is just amazing. What's the latching mechanism? Oh, I don't see where it latches. Oh, I see. I see where it goes in. I don't see where it latches. 
Oh, well, I'm going to have to look that up. I'm curious now. That's all black. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Along the walls here, it's all memorabilia, old trucks, old cars, a lot of die casts. Holy shit, there's my truck. There's a die cast version of my truck. Actually, there's two of them. I'll have to take a picture of those. Oh, no, it's a set of triples. You don't see those very often. You see doubles, but you don't see triples. So I'll have to take a picture of that. That is really freaking cool. Oh, my God. All right. Let's see what else we got here. You know what? If I had to say I had a favorite here, I don't think I could. I just I really don't. So let's go. I'm going to take a picture of this, and then I'll go on to round three. have to go dig through the couch to get changed so you could go somewhere. Yeah, just go make the drag. We used yeah. to put dolls with the ass in the couch and go all night. Right around all night long. It's like, yeah, you want to go somewhere? It's like, oh, is there any change in the couch? Yeah. 24 cents a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's what it used to be. Now it's pretty Yeah. It, when it hit the dollar, I thought it was like, oh my god, it's the end of the world. <laughs> That was just... I never thought it'd get this high. Or diesel. God, they used to throw away diesel. They couldn't get rid of it. Here you go. Okay, if I had a favorite, I think I would have to go with this, I don't know, this Pontiac Super Chief. It's just amazing. It's not convertible, though. I think, no, if I had a, I'd go with, I guess the, the Ford Galaxy Sunliner would be a great party car. But the, the Corvette would be the, because the, the, it's a two-seater, that'd be the kind of car you want to go out with your girl and just cruise around town. And Oh, my God, this thing is just stunning. Absolutely stunning. But I think my favorite has got to be this Chevrolet Impala 1958. Just something about it. It just blows me away. All right, I got to get out of here. Very car. Uh, fender bender shops and everything. They didn't know nothing about fiberglass in 1953, 4, 5. Uh -huh. The only thing they could do was paint it like that and then wait 24 hours, stand it, paint it again. Well, well it took forever to get. I remember the Corvettes in the in the '60s, like the Stingray. You, you got in any accident, that was it. it was the, oh yeah, and they did the same thing. They went and, and the car was They said we ain't going to pay somebody to work on your car three months. We're just going to get rid of. It. And the car was never the same after that. No, yeah. well, 
But that's beautiful. I mean, but that Impala, though. I don't care what color that is. Okay, they had Impalas. They were quite the solid white ones. A lot of them had the turquoise interior. And in, in the uh, they even had red interior and white bodies. They were beautiful cars. And, uh, but there just wasn't that many of them. And, and uh, I don't know what happened to them. I think they had too much metal in them and they just crushed them. And, uh, but that car there is the only car that we've ever shown in a show. And the only reason we did is because the guy that, was, that did all the, well, him and his wife worked 29 years for us and they did 68 cars. And uh, when they got, he got losing his eyesight and he thought it was from sanding and blasting all the time with, with uh, these cars and he said, I've got to quit. And we were, we had plenty of cars. We didn't need them anymore anyway. And so he said, all right. And then he said, Mr. Russell asked him, said, did you uh, have any regrets all the 29 years? Because he enjoyed working on the cars. And uh, he said, I only had one. I never didn't know how good I was because I never got to compete. You know, the guys that redo these cars, they kind of compete with each other. Yeah. They're, they're so, a, so Mr. Russell showed the car because he said that? Well... He told him, he said, well, if you was going to show a car, which one would it be? And he said, oh, it'd be the 58 Apollo. And he said, okay. He said, uh, yes, I've got my trailer on the pickup, my dually four-door. He said, we'll put it in the trailer. We'll just go to Las Vegas. They're having the biggest car show in the world up there this weekend, and we'll just take it. That's, you know what? So he took the guy and his wife, and him and his wife went, and they went to Las Vegas, and they showed that car in the class with a thousand and fifty cars. Yeah. And that car won it. So let me let me get. The, I think this says a lot about Mr. Russell. Oh yeah. Okay. So the man who does a lot of his work for him says, "I'm gonna retire, but the only regret I have is the fact that I never got to compete." Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Russell says, "Well, let's just pick up and drive, whatever it is from you know New Mexico to Las Vegas, and let's show him the biggest car show around and see what happens." Is, and this is my, this is like, you're retiring, this is like my gift to you. Oh, yeah. That is badass. Well, he, <laughs> that is badass. He won $7,500 with that car, and he gave it to the guy in a, in a trophy that was about that tall. No shit. Yeah. And the old boy couldn't see real well, but he was just sitting there, he just tickled him to death. You know, I think he that... He loaded the car back up and I brought think, it home. I think that says a lot about Mr. Russell right there. Oh, yeah, he's that kind of guy, but... You know, he's shrewd at business, but when it comes to doing stuff for people, he's just the opposite. Talk about loyalty. Yeah. He comes through here three times a week, and uh, he'll walk through here with his arms folded like this. And you'd never know he had a dime. You know, he, he dresses nice, but he's not, you know, not any different than we are, basically. He walks through here, comes back up here, and he said... Uh, did that gas pump have a light in it down there? Heck, I don't remember. Did it have? I don't know. Oh, he said, I'll get some bulbs and bring them by. He said, if you think you need to change it, well, I'll change one. I'll just leave it up to you. And, and he leaves. That's it. He said, I, I That's like good. that. I That's like good. He never says anything to us. And I asked him one day, I said, don't you have anything that you want to say about the way we're doing it? He said, no. Because you're doing it the way I want you to," he said. "If you if you get to where you're doing it, not not doing it the way I want it, I'll let you know." <laughs> I like that, but I just I like the fact that you know here's a man ready to re you know he's retiring, he's losing his eyesight, 
He's towards the end. Of, he's closer to the end than the beginning. And his only regret is the fact that he can't show his car. And then Mr. Russell says, yeah, we can. Let's do it. Yeah. And this, this tiny gesture on, on Mr. Russell's part made a huge, huge difference probably in this guy's life. Now he's got this big trophy. He probably and, did, but he said he turned out real good. And he said, well, all right. And, uh, but he said, I'm, I'm not through with it. He said, come out here. So they went out and picked it up. And he, he unwrapped this thing here and took it in. He said, I want this put on that car. He said, hell no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, uh, you want me to put that on the car? Go get me another car and I'll put it on there. But I ain't doing nothing to that one there. That's perfect. That car is great. And it is. It's really a nice job. It's really perfect. <laughs> and he said, no, I want that on there. And he said, no, I ain't going to put it on there. And he said, now, Dad, gummit, I want that put on there. And uh, he said, I think you can do it. He said, I don't want to do it. <laughs> they argued back and forth. And finally, he just got mad. He went over to that old boy did and got a, one of them grinders with a cutting deal on it. And he just jumped up on that car and just went, and he just cut that top of the car and threw it over in the, bar, you know, in the thing. He said, now, are you satisfied? And he said, he said, yeah, as soon as you get that top in there. And he said, well, you get out of here, leave me alone. Maybe I'll look at it. <laughs> and Mr. Russell left and he got, he got home. And the next day about noon, the old boy called him. He said, you can come get your car. And he said, what'd you do? And he said, well, I got that top in here. He said, when I cut that other top out from the Crown Vic to the front, all I had to do is just take one end out of the windshield, take the chrome off the windshield. Just shove it in there and put the black stuff around it and just shove it in there. And it when it oh. Would the other gentleman be here tomorrow morning? Uh yeah. Okay. Jerry will. Okay. I always talk to him. You don't like me? I've never seen you. Oh. I've been I'm from Ohio. He is kind of crazy. This is my like third trip in the last three weeks out here to California and back and I just stop in and say hi to him. Yeah, I work so. on the weekend, so yeah, he'll be here. Yeah, it's usually during the week when we're there. Actually, Corky will be here in the morning. It won't be Jerry. It'll be Corky. Okay. The guy I'm talking about is an older guy, white hair, mustache. Older guy, probably Nobody's in his 50s or 60s. He yeah. had a mustache. Well, he the one who was in here the other day. Goatee kind of thing, yeah, whatever. That's, that's whatever. Jerry. That's Jerry. He might be here in the morning. I, I'm supposed to be here tomorrow, but. But Jerry should be here in the morning, and then somebody's going to take my place because I'm cranking up my plane heading for Las Vegas in the morning. Really? Yes, sir. I'm not going to be around here for a week. Why not? Well, I'm going to go on vacation. You're going to go gamble? Well, I guess, yeah. That's Are you married? Am I married? Yeah. Is your wife going to let you go by yourself is what I'm wanting to know. Oh, no. She going with you then? Well, yeah. Okay, oh, smart woman. And, and so is five other people. Okay, I'm with my old man too. He owns his own trucking company. I work for a Honda plant back home in Ohio, but I've been on medical leave. I had carpal tunnel on both wrists at the same time. Ouch. They do them at the same time in Ohio. So I've been off for six weeks, and I go back to work Monday. So well, lucky you. I love my job. Yeah, a lot of people. Be Not too many 46-year-olds can say they've been at a job 20 years and they like their job. Yeah, that's true. So, and I'm 46, and I've been there 20 years, so, yeah, I like my job. Well, that's good, because if you don't like it, you're too far into it now to back out. Yeah, so, but no, I just, I always talk to him about how beautiful it is out here. This is the first time, like I said, this is my third time in three weeks, but it's just gorgeous out well, here. Well, just call him up, hometown to come in. 
No, I'll see him in the morning. I'll be back. I'll spend the night. With the no, no, we we call him. He lives thirty <laughs> miles from here. Huh? He lives thirty miles from here. Oh, does he? He lives in Vega, Texas. Okay. Oh, that's not that far. Just go down there and knock on the door. Nah, I'll see him in the morning. I'm camp. We're camping out in the. We, we like <laughs> their breakfast here. Wouldn't so. that be? Wouldn't that be funny though? Hey, we're still driving by. We hey, want to I wanted to say hi before I went all the way back to Ohio. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> he wouldn't say a word. No, yeah, I see his wife later. might. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, I, I'm an old lady. I know how we are. <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious. You know, I, I got married. You asked me if I was married. I got married when I got out of high school. I was barely 17. And two months later, I got married and we took off to college and had everything we had in a car. And we had room in the front seat. And been married ever since. This year be 60 years. That is amazing. 60 years? Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed. You've been married 60 years? Oh, I never guessed you were that old. Never. Oh, yeah, I am that old. Wow, I would have never guessed that. But I get the same thing. I mean, I'll be 47 in March, and I have two grandsons. Everybody's like, when I'm cleaned up, I look better. And they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. Two of them. Mm. Four and ten months. Was, well, I got married the first time. Oh, that, I lost well, you it. have a safe trip. Have fun. Okay. Yep. But the second one worked out pretty good. Four or five years, something like that. And last year I went to get it because I needed a relief driver here for fuel. And I had everything except triples. We don't have triples in New Mexico, so we can't, uh -huh. just can't get triples. But I had everything you could get. Hazmat, the whole work, everything. And I had it for 44 years, and I went down to get renew my license last year, and because they were coming due, and uh, they told me that they'd have to do a hazmat search. I said, "Why?" Well, Homeland Security requires it. I said, "I've had the license 44 years. If I was going to bomb somebody, I'd already done it." Well, not know? only that, but you know, if if if, if I'm a bad terrorist type guy. I'm not going to put the hazardous placards on the outside of the tractor. That's true. You know, and, and the other thing is like, um, okay, I'm, I'm not talking against guns, but you can go buy a gun and that's it. You do the permitted check when you get it. For CDL, you got to go back every couple of years and you got to renew your hazmat license. Well, and do the background check. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't mind taking the test. I mean, you got to take the test for knowledge. That's fine. Yeah. Things change, but I got to do the fingerprint. They got to send all this shit. Well, what has changed in the last couple of years? But you can buy a gun, and it's like you do it once, and that's it. But I don't, I don't, I don't understand why there's a difference. You know, yeah, I don't either. But they, they but, told I mean, me, I'm not, and I'm not saying that you should have to go get fingerprinted every couple of years for a gun. They told me that I, that I would, they'd have to research, uh, do a, do background, a background yeah. search, and I have a, I have a passport. And I flew all over the world with jets and everything else, and uh, I've got all kinds of clearance. And FBI does your passport, and it was it was done the same year, last year, and and uh, they wanted two hundred and forty dollars to do it. Yeah. And, and a lot I of said, it's. I said, I, well, here's the thing, right? They do all that, and then they say go to the UPS store and the FedEx store and, and do the background. It's like. Wait a minute, wait a minute, pay him to, to fingerprint me and send yeah, it in? And, and really? That doesn't make picture. any sense. And, you know, and the, like my fingerprints have changed in the last... Buddy's uncle's involved. And it was all done like right there? Okay. Oh, something else I had, I had physical again, because you have to always have physical. Yeah, well, I, could, I understand and that, so but... 
I said, where do I get a physical? And out here, we don't have a specified. You can't go just to any doctor and get a physical. You can't do that anymore. You used to be able to. Yeah. But now they pass a new regulation. You have to go to a certified doctor. So here's what the yeah. DOT said. They sent me to a chiropractor. I went to a chiropractor. I just went last week. So here's the thing. We don't, the DOT, we don't trust that this doctor with medical training can evaluate that you can drive safely unless you've been certified, but you can be certified even if you're just a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. So the chiropractor is doing the eye test, he's doing all the other stuff. He's doing the stuff that a regular doctor would do that he normally doesn't do, but he's certified to do that because of what the deal, it's... The guy, uh, when the guy gave me an eye test, he, I was about this far from down a hall, and it was so dark in there, you couldn't see nothing. He shuts the door and there's a deal on the door and he said, read the top line. And I can't even see it because it's dark. And he mm. says, well, you're going to have to have glasses if you're going to drive. Well, for me, he's <laughs> I, a, said, I said, turn the light on. I can see it. For me, it was, uh, uh, they're like, can you read that? I said, well, I can't read that without my glasses. Well, we need you to read oh, T-O-Z. They're like, well, you can read it. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, no, it's not that I can read it. It's just that when I walk by, I got a really good memory. <laughs> you know? Because I, you know, I they're like, read the top line. I'm like, well, how can I just read line five? And they're like, well, okay. Well, I memorized line five when I walked by. <laughs> well, I have, I have to keep it. I but with the glasses on, I can see perfect. A class three all the time for my pilot's license. You have to do that, too. And, and Were you fi do you pi fighter, pilot in World War II? Uh, no, I just I was a uh, test pilot for Lockheed. Oh, right on, right on. I flew the planes that they made, you know, when they, before oh, they ever gave it to anybody. I bet you got some stories. Oh, man. I flew the first F-111 they ever made. It wasn't armed, but it was first swept wing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Anything, they told me to take it, and uh, we were flying it up at Edwards, and he said, take that thing and... and don't go over the envelope, but take it to the envelope and see what it'll do. We think it's, it'll probably fly pretty fast. We think it'll fly probably pretty fast. Yeah. That's real tech. Just like this. Well, back then you had nothing to compare it to. I mean, this was like first time. You have no stuff. control on it whatsoever. It's doing it all with a computer. I got thinking, well, man built that computer. I hope the heck he got it tied down pretty good. I, um, my mom worked at Edwards in security. Oh, okay. And my stepfather uh, was the, uh, the, was the guy who was in charge of all the computers. He was a big IT guy, and he just retired a few years ago. So uh, I don't think he was there back then no, when you no, did it, but back there. but uh, his predecessor would have been the one to blame. So we'll just yell at Don anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, I flew all over the world. I flew the first U-2 that they ever made, spy plane. No shit. And uh, I took it 80,000 feet in 5% uh, power, and it's flying still as fast as it was. It, you know, down low, and uh, we tested it out. And the first time we flew it over Russia was on the bed. The way? Yeah, we was in the hangar, and a bunch of guys, I said, y'all can fly that thing over Russia, and they couldn't nobody see you. Well, I was. You couldn't do I that said, today? I said, get your money out. Couldn't do it today? No. Oh, I think you could. As high as that thing flies, they can't pick you up on the radar. Oh, that's beautiful. Eight, That's beautiful. 8,000 feet, I can look up, see the stars. And you can see the curvature of the Earth like this, you know, just right at the edge of space. Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, I flew into uh, Vandenberg one time, and uh, I was coming back from the Rand Conference. 
Germany. Rincon, Rincon, what did they call that air base over there? Rincon, I think. And I flew back on, over to Edwards, I mean from Edwards down to Vandenberg. And I was, I come in and I was looking down at the airport and <laughs> I called in and I said, give me the airport advisory and told him my number and everything. And he said, uh, well, when you get close enough to us, he said, give us another call. We got some planes coming in. And I said, I'm right over the top of you looking straight down at you right now. And he said, we don't have you on radio. How high are you anyway? And I said, 78,000 feet. <laughs> he said, get your ass down here to 1,500 feet. And then call me again, he said. And just, and just hung up. <laughs> I laughed. I went circling. Oh, my God. Finally, when he, when he finally got me on radar, he called back. and said, I have you on radar now. Circle out, stone throw degrees, come back in. <laughs> oh, my God. He come in there, he come out there where we was at in the ready room and he said, What the hell are you calling me at seventy five thousand feet? Hell we couldn't even pick you up and I said, Now you know you can't. Well, what better way than to test that stuff on yourselves, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. Oh my god, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I gotta hit the restroom. Okay. Hey, you know what? Thanks for the talk, man. Amen. That was awesome. Hey, um, what I wanna do next time I come it might be a while because I, I never know when I'm coming through. But I wanna I do this podcast once in a while. I don't want to bring my recorder. If we could talk just like we did, and you want to share a couple of stories, that would be awesome. Mm. I talk regularly to a guy who flies a C-141 Starlifter, and I get a lot of stuff from him. I used to be airborne, so I'm one of the guys he probably shoved out of the plane. So he was <laughs> kind of like, you know, his people were more like enemies to me at the time. And I know what they were doing. When we were sitting there like this, they'd hit the throttle. And we'd, you know, do one of those. You know what I mean? Yep. But, uh, you, you know, anytime you want to share those stories. Yeah, I don't know that I want to share anything with anybody. A lot of the crap that I've done, I couldn't even share back then. <laughs> See, that's the best part. Yeah. Oh, true. You know, because the, 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 nobody does anything anymore. No, they don't. Everything's all generic, you know? No, they don't. Everybody lives. I, I don't really know how we survive. But see, that's what made it. That's what made every, That's what made everybody better because everybody was taking chances and doing crazy. Now everything's too regulated and paperwork. To you know, it was it was crazy sometimes. I I was in college in in '60. Went down in '59. The wife went with me, and we. She was going to school, and I was too. And I was firing on the ROTC rifle team because I. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember getting my first 22. I mean, we. My dad. He wasn't one of these guys that locked up his guns. He taught us how to use them and then left them where he wanted them. But see, that's the difference between back then and like today. Back then, the, the, a gun was a tool. People used it for hunting, or, you know, and it was an actual tool. Like you said, you're a rancher, so it's an, and it's an actual tool for what you're mm-hmm. doing. And so it's just like it's just like the pl- the tractor or or whatever. But the, but you got these crazies that are walking around like they're toys, and it's the yeah. the crazies that act like they're toys they that ruin everything. Team. Okay, I stopped at Russell's truck stop. I had to take my half-hour break. I ended up staying there an hour and a half. (laughs) I did not plan on that. I walked inside, and the car museum was open, and I couldn't believe that they were still open. So I walked in there, and I looked at the cars and walked around. And then I started talking to the caretaker, Flint. And I really had to go to the bathroom. But it was like he kept telling these crazy stories, and I... And I was like, I couldn't get away because I was like, I was captivated by his stories. 
He's a very soft-spoken man, so I was really surprised that that came through as well as it did. But he was a test pilot, you know, back in the day, and I mean, he was just like, the stories that he told were just like, wow, 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 you know, it was, everybody's got a story, everybody's got a story. But the thing is, I talked to Flint for like, like about an hour, and, uh, you know, I didn't record nearly as, you know, that five minute at a time thing just doesn't work when you're trying to talk like that. So what I should have did was I should have called somebody and had them host so that I could have kept it recording the whole time. That's what I should have did. But I wasn't, you know, I, this was like a spur of the moment thing. I wasn't planning on this. So the next time I go in there, I'll do this better. But because Flint's just fullest, I mean, he's just, you know, he's 77 years old. He's got all these... He's got a lifetime of history, you know, and his stories are amazing. That's really what it comes down to, though. Everybody has a story. All you got to do is get them talking. And when people start talking, they don't realize how amazing their stories are until somebody listens to them. To them, it's just their lives. But when you start listening to them... And you start listening to their story, and and you start telling them about it. Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable! You're part of history. You did this. You did that. Then they start to realize, you know, hey, maybe what I did was cool. Maybe what I did was meaningful. You know, I really would like to share. And then they share more of their stories. You know, you just got to get people talking. You know, the key is getting getting them to be comfortable enough to go down the path where they can tell their story because people don't want to tell their story if it's not going to be appreciated and I gotta tell you I was listening to that man's stories and I was like blown away I was like this is amazing but on the other hand I got like what 15 minutes of it and we were there talking for well over an hour so I missed most of it and there was some big jumps in there but you guys got the gist of what was going on. So Bernie found a man who fly, flew the U-2. This is his first man to fly in Russia. See, he told me his stories, but you get a guy like Bernie Goldback, he would know better questions to ask because he's a pilot. I'm not a pilot. I don't know anything about flying a plane. They have their own language, these guys. You know, I would love to have had Bernie there so he could talk to Flint and ask those questions. Those questions that I don't know to ask. That Flint doesn't realize is cool. Because that's his life. He just lived it. So, anyway, that's how my evening's going so far. I think I'm having a pretty good day. I got that crazy-ass bumper from Jeremiah Craig, which is just, I woke up to, which is like this amazing start of my day. The wife, by the way, the wife loves it, Jeremiah. In fact, I had her listen to it, and she said, you should you should start your, your thing off every day with this. This is better than what you put out. <laughs> I said, thank you. I think, 
I, th- <laughs> I think thank you. I'm not sure. I had her go back and listen to my segment so she could find it. And she called me back and she's like, well, I listen to your stuff. And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, it's the same as when you're talking to me on the phone, except you're ignoring me, it sounds like. And I said, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Kingfish, how are you doing? It's Patrick. Man, that was awesome. Yeah, Jeremiah Craig was just nailing it. And you're, that was, that was groovy, man. All right, man, hammer down. Be safe. Take care. Peace. Oh, Patrick, wasn't that amazing? Oh, I woke up to that, and I'm just like, this is perfect. Absolutely perfect. If I would have asked for something, I couldn't have planned anything cooler than that. I mean, and I like that checking off cities. I mean, everything about it's literally just perfect. It's exactly, you know, it's exactly what I do. You know, I just can't get over how awesome that is. Yeah, that's what I like about this Anchor community. You know, coming together and the support. You know, and if, you know, I don't know. I just really like it. It's a good day for me. Except I spent an hour and a half in the truck stop. I shouldn't have spent that long in there. I gotta go, man. You know, every, every, uh, every, you know, every five minutes you waste on the road is five minutes you lose at home. I sincerely believe that. And at the end of the week, it turns into half a day you lost. You know, I just spent like an hour and a half. I needed to spend a half an hour there for the logbook, but I just spent an hour and a half in there. That's unheard of for me. I never spend an hour and a half anywhere unless I'm stuck at a terminal. But, you know, just, you know, Flint's stories were so crazy, I just couldn't get away. In fact, I had to go to the bathroom so bad that I was going to, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to make it by the time I finally started going over there. But his stories were so good, I couldn't stop listening. Ah, what a night. Yeah, I'm in a good mood. That's a, when I hear, when I hear this man tell a story, and then I wake up, first I wake up to that, then I hear a man tell tell his life, part of his life story, talking to me how he'd been married for 60 years. 60 years, how they got married at 17, and they're still married today. That's awesome. I just think that's the best thing in the world. The part that I lost on that, Patrick, was he said that, uh, you know, he's a rancher and he's sold off and he's got plenty of money, but he works in there just to kill time. He said after he retired, he said his wife made him go get a job. And he said, well, I don't know if I want to go to work. And she said, you're driving around looking at other people's cattle. You're going to work. So I guess what happened was he was driving around and he couldn't let you know he couldn't get out of the harness and started looking at other people's cattle and you know looking at different ranches she finally said you're going back to work and he went and started working for Mr. Russell because he knows him I guess but uh geez man what an interaction that's the kind of shit that I can't I said it before I'll say it again that's the kind of shit that makes my day but uh, Patrick, you nailed it. It's perfect.
Okay. I changed my profile photo to that Impala, so you guys know what I'm that you know the story Flint was talking about. That Impala is just stunning. So look at my profile photo. And you'll see what it is. I'll leave it up for about a week or so and then I'll change it to something else. But maybe I'll change it to one of the other cars because oh my god, it was just stunning. I took some video too. So amazing. So Paul, Bernie, check your Facebook in, uh, messenger sites. I'll send that stuff to you. All right, talk to y'all later.